0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome back
1: to the money and markets podcast this week we've got the latest on how that new year market rally has panned out as well as the latest in supermarket price wars joining me today is danny Houston.
2: hi laura i'll be covering the latest retail figures with primark storming ahead as well as some surprising figures from buy now pay later provider klarna we've got an update on energy bills and why they're getting more expensive despite wholesale prices getting cheaper
1: And sticking with that price rise news, I'll be looking at the latest food inflation figures, which don't make for very pretty reading. And on top of that, we'll have the latest investor interview with real-life investors about how they got started.
2: Dan has our fund manager interview this week with Ken Wooten from Strategic Equity Capital about the rebound in small-cap stocks in recent months and where he's seeing the best opportunities.
1: So, let's get cracking. Let's start with the broader markets. We started the new year on a good note, but some of that optimism seems to have fizzled out now.
2: Yeah, February didn't look particularly great uh, for US markets in particular. In fact, the Dow posted a loss of 0.7% in Tuesday's session, closing out February. The S&P fell 0.3% and the NASDAQ dipped 0.1%. But when you actually put that in terms of the whole month, the Dow saw pretty big declines, 4.2%. The S&P and the Nasdaq fell 26 and 1.1% respectively. Now, this shift in fortunes, because really since the new year, there's been some real optimism around. And it's come because of all the data which suggests that a pivot from the head to lower interest rate hikes, to an end to this interest rate hike cycle, isn't likely in the near term. We've got some sticky core inflation numbers, robust jobs figures. And that has resulted in some really cautious outlooks from a lot of businesses, particularly retailers like Walmart, Target and Home Depot. And we've had more job cuts announced, including from General Motors. Now, European markets have fared better. You know, they're pretty financials heavy. um, So it's made them sort of a lot more alluring than their US counterparts because uh, they tend to be filled with the more expensive technology stocks. You know, so um, when you've got the signs that interest rates are stye- staying higher for longer, then that does impact their ability to earn cash. Now, the FTSE 100 did lose a whole load of its momentum towards the back end of February, lost its grip on that 8,000 mark, which is of such psychological importance. But as we spring into March, things are looking well more upbeat. And a lot of that is down to some really pretty decent figures out of China with manufacturing activity up at the fastest pace in more than a decade, which has given a lot of miners a lift. They've been in the doldrums the last week or so. And we also need to mention thawing relations between the UK and the EU with that Windsor framework finally being signed.
1: Now let's look at retail specifically as we've had some results from a few retailers in the past week. Let's kick off with Primark.
2: Yes, so um, the owner of clothing retailer Primark, uh, Associated British Foods, has said that um, profits, annual profits, are now expected to be higher than they'd previously expected. And a lot of this is because Brits have been out shopping you know whether or not they've had their Christmas money saved up whether or not they're shopping early for the summer thinking about holidays are you thinking about holidays yet always (laughs) (laughs) why does that not surprise me they've had strong sales of luggage beachwear, sunglasses swimwear you know even shorts I imagine that you've probably contributed to quite a lot of that (laughs) um the, the boss, the finance director, uh, Jason Basin, said, you know, people have been buying for hot summer holidays. They've been doing it in January, possibly because everything else is so grey. So, yeah, I mean, they made the decision in September to stop adding any extra price hikes to support their customer. Uh, and I think that has made a big difference. We've seen uh, H&M being upgraded because... Um, banks are now assuming that the customer is an awful lot more resilient than uh, we'd given it credit for. But we also saw a lot of cautious um, updates from big US retailers like Walmart and Home Depot saying that, While they'd had really quite strong Christmas periods, they are now expecting that inflation wearying is going to grab hold of the consumer. So they've been pretty, um, you know, downbeat in their expectation of the year ahead. Um, I also need to mention Klarna here. Um, buy now, pay later. You've spoken about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely massive now as a way to buy items. And Klarna is possibly one of the best known, certainly one of the biggest. And you might be surprised that it plunged to a record loss, the biggest since the firm was set up in 2005, a loss of 8 £130 million. Now that's even bigger than the loss it made in 2021. Now a lot of this has been down to the fact that it sort of expanded massively in the wake of Covid as we all expected that online retail was really going to boom and then of course what happened we had the cost of living crisis and sort of in the summer consumers were really thinking hard about their budgets. However That seems to have shifted, particularly in the US, where Klarna has expanded a lot. Um, The boss says that they really feel that they're now on track to profitability, um, did particularly well in the sort of latter few months of the year. There are questions, though, because we do know that the UK government is planning to clamp down on the buy now, pay later sector. Klarna says it's been calling for the moves, it welcomes the moves, and actually... There is some sort of sense in that because it is a huge marketplace now. You've got an awful lot of players in there. And if these clampdowns basically stop some providers in their tracks, then potentially big names like Klana who got their ducks in a row and they say that they do, well, they could bring in more customers.
1: What's interesting, I think, is when you look at Klarna from an investor point of view and you look at that kind of lack of profitability, those losses, then you look at it from a consumer point of view. And part of their plan to get back to profitability is that they've introduced a late fee. So if you miss a payment, you now have to pay five pounds as a late fee. Now, they have included a lot of caveats about how they'll give you reminders, a certain grace period. But actually, the way it seems, the way that they're going to get back to profitability is charging their customers more now they've got a lot of people hooked on these buy now pay later methods of debt so it's quite interesting to see it from both points of view there
2: yeah it is definitely and you know people now whenever you shop that's one of the things that comes up first front and center for you isn't it you get these options and it it can be tempting particularly if you're struggling that month but some good news for all of us is that
1: the supermarket price war is ramping up. So Ocado has been the latest to focus on price cuts in a bid to bring in a few more customers.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ocado is interesting. It's done it before. It's price match Tesco, but it hasn't done it this last year up to now, whereas we've seen lots of other supermarkets, Tesco price matching the discounters, Sainsbury's doing very similar on a lot of items. And there's been a real fight to get people in who are trading down, who are looking for value. We know that people have been hunting out those own brands. but Icado, of course, is possibly seen as sort of at the top end of the market. It's got this joint venture with Marks and Spencer. And, and honestly, it seemed yesterday when it announced its results that investors basically threw their hands up in dismay. They really are losing patience with Icado. Um It reported a pre-tax loss of £501 million pounds for 2022. I mean, that is Astonishingly big when you consider inflation is so high. It says that people are buying less, but of course, what they're putting in their baskets, they're having to pay more for. So, you know, we saw shares fall on the news. Uh, Now, looking over 12 months, they're down 58%. Now, it's blamed the cost of living crisis and an all round challenging year. saying that, you know, it's found it harder to grow sales because customers are spending their money everywhere else. And and that is certainly true. We do know that other supermarkets are cutting costs in order to be able to continue to cut costs for their shoppers. And with that in mind, uh, we had the news from Sainsbury's yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday lunchtime, that it's planning to close two Argos depots over the next three years Now, it's been sort of simplifying that whole Argos structure, bringing it all into Sainsbury's stores, closing the Argos stores, and basically taking advantage of the fact that it's got the space already. It's already paying, you know, for heating and lighting and all that kind of stuff. Now, though, there is... Um, The unions are saying, well, look, there's no economic reason for doing this. But Sainsbury's is saying, look, we're spending £550 million on keeping prices keen for customers. Um, We are paying uh, more than the minimum wage for our workforce. And we just need to be flexible to become simpler and more efficient for customers. And, you know, price is is massively important. Um, but those price wars that we're seeing and the discounters really seem to be winning the war at the moment. But they can't stop uh, rampant food inflation. I know, Laura, we've had some figures this week, which quite horrifying.
1: Yeah. That, so they show that grocery price inflation has reached a high of 17.1% in February. So we've seen some of the fastest rises in some of the essentials, so things like milk, eggs, margarine, and actually the BBC has been tracking the price of certain things and a standard 500 gram bag of pasta was 50p two years ago and now it's 95p, which highlights some of those price increases. This is probably quite surprising for some people because I think the story at the moment seems to be, you know, headline inflation is dropping, things aren't getting as expensive, Um, but that's definitely not what these figures from Kantar show. And that increase in food costs in the four weeks um, to the middle of February would add more than £800 pounds to the annual food bill, so your annual supermarket shop. It's a massive increase for people. And on top of that, non-food inflation is also rising. So a separate set of data that we had out this week from the British Retail Consortium and Nielsen IQ shows that non-food inflation is at 5.3% but rising. And I think what this shows is we know that headline inflation, so that CPI measure of inflation that we get from the Office for National Statistics, has been falling. But the price of some core items like food and energy is still going to be going up and we'll touch more on energy later. But households are still facing higher costs and particularly poorer households are hit harder because they spend more of their money on these core areas such as food and energy. So One of the issues is that supermarkets, while they are focused on this kind of price war, some of them aren't passing on those cost reductions. They've realized that with certain items, they can keep increasing the price and people will still pay for them. Um, But also there's quite a long lag between the food manufacturers seeing lower energy prices and those prices being reflected at the checkout so the kind of whole food manufacturing and chain process takes a very long time to filter through from those lower energy costs at factories or at food generation all the way through to reaching supermarket shelves so it might be that we start to see some more downward pressure and some of those reductions in energy costs start to come through in in the coming months.
2: I know certainly that Walmart's boss was Talking about the fact that because they're keeping their own brand prices low that the expectation is that it will be able to wield some power on other brands and potentially force them to bring prices down. And and certainly what we saw is Kraft Heinz have announced that they're not going to bring in any further price rises over the next year. It's not the same for all manufacturers by any stretch of the imagination and might be something to do with the fact that actually Kraft Heinz brought in some of the largest price rises over the last year. But uh, it's, it's certainly food for thought people and I guess finally for the markets news um, there's
1: some good news for everyone's favorite headline-grabbing CEO so Elon Musk is back on the up, isn't he
2: Yeah, he's still facing lawsuits. He's still courting controversy, but he has regained his place as the world's richest man. Um, He's topped the French luxury goods magnate Bernard Arnault, who is, of course, the boss of Louis Vuitton. Um, And uh, it's all because Tesla has been back on the up. So, you know, we were talking about Tesla stocks. They had a really bad year last year. Well, just looking since the start of the year, they jumped almost 70%. We're seeing production really pick up. And there was some news out just the other day that production in Germany has already hit 4,000 a day. That's way ahead of schedule. But the big news is going to be about what next for Tesla. They've obviously had to bring prices down in in order to get people to buy their cars because they were producing too many. We're seeing China now reopening. That should make a difference and today is the big investor day, so we're waiting for an update on the Cyber Truck. We're waiting for an update on sort of the next generation of Tesla SUV. So uh, I think what we're seeing is that Tesla is regaining its form. It seems like he is, uh, Elon Musk, is now more focused on running the company as opposed to playing in the sandbox with his new toy, which of course is uh, Twitter, but. Clearly, the cost of living situation, the fact that people don't have as much money in their pockets, even with the Inflation Reduction Act in the US giving people cash towards these vehicles. It is going to be an incredibly competitive market for uh, the next at least 12 months. And one of the reasons that it's going to be so competitive is that people just don't have cash. We talked about food costs going up earlier, but we're also going to see energy bills in the UK rise from next month, even though wholesale gas prices are falling. Laura, why? I know this feels like a
1: bit of a crush for households. So, on the one hand, they'll be seeing headlines about how these wholesale energy prices are dropping, but at the same time, they'll be getting letters from their energy provider saying that their energy costs are going up. So, this week we had the energy price cap announcement. So, this is the one that everyone used to look out for to see how much more expensive their bills were going to be. This time it was a reduction of almost a thousand pounds a year in annual energy costs. However, that's kind of surplus to requirements at the moment because the government's energy price guarantee um, supersedes that the energy price cap that we get from Ofgem is still above the level that the government has capped energy prices. but from April, from next month, that government cap is increasing and it means that average annual energy costs are going to go from £2,500 a year to £3,000 a year. On top of that, that kind of £66 or £67 a month that we've all been getting off our energy bills, thanks to a separate bit of government support, is ending in the same month. And as a triple whammy, the cost of living support that the government has handed out, which goes um, to people on universal credit, certain benefits, certain pensioners, for lots of people that's going to be lower than it was last year. So all of that adds up to the fact that people are going to see higher energy costs and less support from the government. Some fuel poverty groups have put some figures on it, so they say that the number of households struggling to afford their bills could rise from 6.7 million to 8.4 million, just as a result of the rise in energy prices in April. And so, of course, all of this means that there's lots of pressure on the government to do more. One of the things that's been suggested is that they could delay that increase in the energy price guarantee. So that increase from average prices of two and a half thousand up to three thousand that we're seeing in April. They could delay that by a couple of months. One of the benefits of wholesale energy prices being cheaper is that the. Energy support that the government's rolled out to date hasn't cost them as much as they had originally budgeted for. They'd banked on energy prices being higher and so therefore it costing them more. Um, So that means they've got a little bit more money to play with. Um, They could also offer more targeted support to those lower income households. All eyes will be on them in the budget in a couple of weeks' time to see what they will announce.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough for people at the moment and it does seem like every day there is something else eating away at their budget. But if you can invest if you can put a little bit of money away every month it can really pay big and that is exactly what one of our real life investors has done we've been talking to a number of them started last week we're going to continue doing that and this week Mark has been sharing his experiences with Zoe Laurie AJ Bell's head of brand and she started by asking him about how he began his investing journey
3: As as a parent myself, financial security is incredibly important to me, so high up on my own own agenda. Now I'm 36. I've got a little bit of time, hopefully, a little bit of time left to secure a long-term financial investment plan. After all, time is your friend when investing. So, I've started slowly and softly and small. Um, the ultimate objective, as I said before, financial security in the longer term. So, as a parent, it's, it can relate to stocks and shares. I built up over time for my children's financial security. So, it could be university fees, house deposits in 20-odd 20, 20 years' time. And also, I opened up a SIP for my own private pension boost, right. it's like like I said, I started at twenty five pound a month. Right. Will increase, uh, and thankfully I secured a promotion last month, so I will be increasing my contribution to AJ Bell SIP. So, what really gave me the kick was after a lot of a lot of the advice was to get three four months of bills right. saved yeah. into an easy saver account. Once I've done that, for me it's the next stage, which is to use AJ Bell's platform. Yeah. It's a one-stop shop. Yeah. And that's what I really like about it yeah. And plus you've got a bit of a Manchester um, exposure, yeah. if, if, if I make sense. So that's why I showed AJ Bell. And so, like, like I said, last, last summer I started slowly and softly, and I intend to do this for a very, very long term yeah. with AJ Bell. What
0: choices did you make and what influenced those choices?
3: Um, I think, so at the moment I have a Stocks and Shared ISA. Two products, Stockton and Shared and a SIP. Now, the Stocks and Shared ISA, I went for a fund at moderately, moderately adventurous. Right. And the reason why, well, first of all, the reason why I went for a fund is it's passive nature. Yeah. I'm not an investor. I don't know anything about the stock market. So I sort of, rely and pay for the service that A.J. Bell gives us for access to that stock market and for the fund manager to do the job for me, in in, in essence, and moderately adventurous risk rating was chosen because one, I've got time, Mm -hmm. and two, given where the economy is right now, we can ride it out quite quickly, and the only way it's gonna go is up, Mm -hmm. hopefully this year or this year. <laughs> um, so I, I was able to feel comfortable with that level of risk yeah. um, for the SIP. Same reason for the fund element of it, but for the SIP, I went for balance. Yeah, because and, and the reason why I went for that is, the SIP for me, I can't afford to take on that slight more risk, as opposed to the Stockton Shared yeah. Issa. Worst case scenario, if I lose everything on the Stockton share Issa, I can live with that, well, I can just about <laughs> live with that more than losing yeah, you know, yeah. the SIP. Yeah, yeah. The SIP probably in terms of risk is probably more valuable to me. So that, that, that's how I came to my decision on that.
0: Where would you say you were on the scale of investing approach?
3: I'm going to sit on the fence here and say right down the middle. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't want to take too much risk. Otherwise yeah. right, I could potentially lose it all or I could get a negative return. But I don't want to take too much of a risk, otherwise, I'll get very, very little return. Yeah. The, at the end of the day, I, I kind of safeguarded myself by having that three, four months built up in my own savings pot for any unexpected spend or if a disaster happened, I'll have to. So now I've got that there, I can afford to take a little bit of risk on the AJ Bell um, funds. So, yeah, I'm probably right down the middle. Maybe yes. slightly more adventurous on the, um, the ISA due to reasons I gave yes, to you a yes, couple of minutes yes, ago.
0: Really um, thinking about your, uh, the reasons for, for doing it and getting involved in investing, I'd like to know more about your goals. So you, you referenced them briefly when we started our conversation. Um, do you have anything really specific in mind when you look at, your, say, your stocks and shares ISA about what the goals are mm-hmm. for that?
3: Yes, to take a sabbatical from work when I'm in my late forties, early fifties. Right. So um, I've seen colleagues in my office do that, right. and they've said to me to recommend it. They end up coming back to the same job in year, two years, three years, whatever it may be. And um, my my mother passed away at mid fifties, right. and she'd always said to me she wished she took. Because she works all her life, all the way up until a couple of months yeah. b- before her death. And she always wished she had a little bit more time off. So that's yeah. a bit of a, a bit of a life lesson. So for the stops and shared, definitely take a sabbatical.
0: That's a wonder, and wonderful inspiration as well for that goal. And uh, yes, that's a, that's a great goal to have. I'm, I'm kind of inspired by that now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so let's let's imagine i'm i'm one of your mates and i'm i've not got involved in it yet i'm not i'm i'm not even showed signs of being interested in investing give me a couple of benefits how you'd explain to me um what why you you would recommend getting involved in investing
3: well a, a lot of my friends are probably around the same age as i am what i would say to them as i said before time is your friend when it comes to investing if you put away a minimum, AJ Bell allowed a minimum £25 a month per pot. Put it away. It'll be money that you don't miss. Yeah. Money you don't even think about. Check it every now and again. It will worth it when you build up that pot. Yeah. Um, I would say to my friend about um, thinking about their long term future yeah. whether they want to boost their private pension or whether they want to raise um, an ISA for thing that's like taking a sabbatical or that. Great big dream holiday yeah. when children are a bit older, or, or I'm a little bit older. I just I'll, thankfully, a lot of my friends are quite sensible yeah. and they are thinking very, very much the same lines as me. Yeah. But it's just about taking that two step jump. Yeah. There's a little bit of nervousness, I have to admit, there's a bit of nervousness on my own part right. when I first started it. I put a big lump sum and then started these £25 a month. I'm glad I did it. But I think your question can be about the nervousness, about first joining the investment journey. They've got to get over that nervousness.
0: What
3: do you think the hack is behind the nervousness? They've never done it before. Mm. Uh, like me, a novice, clueless. Um, I've seen so many articles by AJ Bell, Share Magazine, uh, The Timed Money, all that kind of stuff saying you have to invest. When you invest, or my own objective, it's in the long term. Long term always wins. It doesn't interest me, I I always say that's my friend, it doesn't interest me making huge amount of returns in first year, second year, five year, 10 year, it's long term. That's all it matters. Long, it's nice little return, good Christmas service, that's all I I want.
0: Now, you you mentioned you're a family man and you've got child, children? Children. how do you imagine you'd use investing for your children and for their future?
3: Well, i thought long and hard about this on the way here. I think right now, the Stockton Shares ISA, even though I've said the ultimate goal of them is to take a sabbatical on them, but you never know what life brings. So, for whatever reason, I can't take that sabbatical on them. It then goes to my children's deposit for a house, or even a junior sip, or even just that one one-off university fees yeah. payment. Um, it's just about having those options there.
2: Mark talking to Zoe Laurie. There, he is one of our real-life investors. And don't forget, if you've got a story you want to share with us, do get in touch. And finally, we have our fund manager interview this week.
1: Strategic Equity Capital is one of the UK investment trusts to have enjoyed a share price bounce since late 2022. Dan Coatesworth recently caught up with fund manager Ken Wooten to get his views on improved investor sentiment and to find out about some of the stocks that are currently in his portfolio.
4: Ken, over the last, say, three months, we've seen quite a bit of a, a rebound in UK small caps. Uh, do you think this can last, or is this, um, you know, a, a, a nice little recovery? But you know, it could be a difficult year ahead of still.
5: Um, you, you're absolutely right. We've seen a, a nice little uplift in the, the beginning of, of, of this year, um, I, I think it feels a little bit more optimistic than it felt before Christmas. And as everyone's come back, sort of feeling slightly sort of less pessimistic, and, and a bit a bit more glass half. Half full. Um, my sort of core planning assumption is that you know, we are going to see ongoing periods of, of significant market volatility this year because I think there's just too many sort of major uncertainties, uh, both sort of macroeconomic and geopolitical, um, as well as the, the kind of more domestic sort of Questions. I think we're we're in a bit more of an optimistic scenario because the political environment feels a bit and more, more stable in the UK. Um, perhaps the the consumer is not quite as uh, as uh, depressed and constrained as, as people might have felt they would be um, going into the beginning of the year. Um, but you know, I, I just think there's there's likely to be periods of sentiment driven volatility and 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 uh, drawdowns in the market. Um, and And so i you yeah, i would I would expect it to be sort of choppy over the course
4: of the next few months. I know within um the holdings in strategic equity capitals portfolio, um in, in the fourth quarter, you had um some wild swings in some of these share prices, like Hosta world was up more than fifty percent in in sort of three months inspired, and tribal both down more than thirty percent. given that you've got quite a concentrated portfolio. You must have nerves of steel to be able to um, sort of sit calmly through these sort of uh, periods. I, I presume that your investors will also need to have nerves of steel to hold the investment trusts.
5: Well, we we, we take a, a long-term view with the trust and we're, we're buying companies and, and making investments that you know, we believe will you know, give us really attractive returns over, over the medium to long term, so sort of three to five year view. Um, and and. You know, really focusing on trying to buy into businesses where we think that the, the fundamentals are strong where the, the businesses can be resilient so you know short-term fluctuations in the share prices, what well, you know whilst you know, occasionally uncomfortable if they're going sort of against you it is you know, it is part of investing in smaller companies and, and the, the trust is pretty concentrated so um yeah you know, we we really focus on the fundamentals. The fundamentals are going in the wrong direction. I get worried. The share price is going in the wrong direction, but I'm confident the fundamentals are okay. Then you know, that's an opportunity for me. And the, the, the stocks you mentioned, for you know, Hostel World, has done done very well. But it's been on a, you know, a really strong momentum in terms of operational recovery from you know, the depths of COVID, where the business, because it's an online travel agent, was was clearly sort of very impacted by uh, travel restrictions and and uh, and you know, people not not wanting to use their services, and that, that's really started to recover, and has done so very strongly over the sort of second half of last year, in particular. Um, with the others that you mentioned, uh, inspired, um, you know, it's a really strong business. It's a, a, the long-term fundamentals are are very robust, in my opinion. Um, it's focused on the energy market, and I think the energy market discontinuity and high energy prices have. Uh, kind of weighed on sentiment for the stock but actually the business itself uh, it, it's pipeline in its uh, energy optimization business, which is where they help uh, corporates to consume less energy you know, the, the, the pipeline has never been stronger there so uh, what's been going on in the wider market which affects sentiment is slightly disconnected from what's going on in the actual business which is uh, re- really in quite rude health so you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with that we've got a big holding there and I, and I think that business is Know, extremely undervalued, and that will sort of be be that will play out in in the share price in due course when when sentiment's less volatile.
4: Well, am I right in saying that you've got um, a kind of a similar approach to investing as as you might see in private equity? Um, and, and if so, are you just looking? You're looking for companies that are undervalued uh, with the potential for takeover, or or is the sort of the, the the bid prospect just um an aside to when you're sort of making your investment decisions? Yes,
5: yeah, so it, it's, it's a, it's a it, an aside rather than the, the specific reason we go into a company. Um, but I think it's it's, a, it's not a surprising consequence of the, the process that we apply. So when we talk about taking a private equity approach to investing in public companies, w- what we mean by that is you know, really focusing on the fundamentals of the businesses and trying to find high quality businesses and then, by, by the shares in those companies at you know, what we believe is an attractive price relative to what we think the businesses could be worth in, in, in due course. Um, and, you know, we, we triangulate that view with, uh, because, because uh, Gresham, we've got a private equity business within the company, and because, you know, I've spent 12 of the last 16 years working in a private equity firm, um, you know, I, I think I'm sort of have a reasonably good insight into what private equity buyers are looking for and what they will pay higher multiples for, and also corporate buyers as well. So so we we try to find high quality businesses at attractive prices, but where they either have strategic value um, or where we believe they are building strategic value. And and when I talk about strategic value, that's something that ultimately a corporate buyer or private equity will pay a higher multiple for. and so if we can buy something that's a material discount to where that strategic value sort of should, should be priced, uh, if the stock market doesn't re-rate those companies to, 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 sort of to, to reflect that, then they will be companies that I think will be attractive to, to, to potential takeover uh, approaches. That doesn't mean we want all of them to be taken over. And we're certainly not buying them specifically because we think that they will be. But, you know, if we're, you know, they like the same things as we do, so clearly they're, they're likely to be interested in, in the companies that we own. Do you think that
4: this year we could see another wave of takeovers from private equity companies? Because I, I was just wondering. I know the last, you know, say five ten years, there's been lots of talk about the private equity industry sitting on lots of cash, um, that you're able to do deals. But now that they've perhaps seen states and private companies all over the last year. Do you think they're a bit more nervous about doing deals or, or actually the, the fact that there's, there's good opportunities as a result of last year's sell-off in UK stocks, um, particularly in the smaller end, it gives them a, the, the, the prime opportunity to do stuff now?
5: Yeah, I think I think it's exactly right. I think we are likely to see a resurgence in takeover activity this year, particularly in the UK, sort of small and mid-cap. And that's really a function of two things one or well, three things what one the valuations are low in, in a lot of companies and, and in certain areas you know high quality businesses and lower quality businesses have been derated in line with each other because of sentiment so i think there's, there's opportunities where high quality companies are at the wrong price the second thing is as you rightly described there you know, this this concept of private equity dry powder which is sort of the commitments to private equity funds that have not yet been deployed but need to be and, and, and these funds are typically uh, they have a finite investment period attached to them so they, they need to invest and if you look at the, the, the dry powder by vintage year that the money was raised uh, actually because of Covid there was a hiatus so there's actually a greater proportion of some of these funds which need to be invested over a shorter time period now than would typically be the case so again sort of driving a, a sort of bias towards activity um, and, and, and then you know, the third thing is that y- your private market transactions um, are, are they've dried up a bit because if you're a private equity firm looking to sell something if you don't need to you know, the current market discontinuity and nets of uncertainty might make you wait whereas a public company is effectively always up for sale in theory so you know you, you combine Lots of cash to invest, cheap multiples on the public markets, plus less deals being done in private markets means that, that uh, I think all of those combined to make more takeover activity on, on the UK market in, in, in the reasonable short term.
4: One of your holdings is Medica, the tele radiology company. Um, I mean, over the years, it's been I always thought this is quite an interesting business, but they seem to have sort of suffered patches of not finding enough qualified people to work for the for the business what, what's the sort of the, you know, the attraction for holding a share like that i mean it, it, there's lots big opportunities but is it capable of um capturing those opportunities to, to, to ultimately to make more money
5: so you know, we're, we're, we're we're very positive on medical it's one of the largest holdings in the investment trust that we run um and you know we're the largest shareholder in the company um The reason, And and since I've been running the trust, we have built our stake in that company significantly. And the reason for doing that is, as you say, that there's, it's a well-positioned business. There is a a major structural difference between the supply and demand for qualified radiologists to interpret uh, medical images. Um, And Medicare is the the leading player in the UK, uh, but also has uh, operations in the US and in Ireland. that, uh, you know, that that can match up qualified radiologists with with the demand for for for, for images and so they they, they offer an outsourced service to the us to, to, to the nhs but they also do so in the clinical trial market particularly in the us so um it the, it takes seven years to train a radiologist and and you know, in some of the specialist areas much longer than that so that supply and demand imbalance is not um is not. Getting smaller anytime soon, and the demand for imaging within both clinical settings and also in in sort of drug development is, is going up as well. So you've you've got this you know, long term uh, opportunity for for a business like Medica to to to, to deserve to exist. Um, the business floated a few years ago with sort of two aggressive targets, and they missed them, and so that that meant the share price was was sort of uh, Derated as a result of that, the management team were changed, um, and so the current CEO, you know, is not culpable for the company missing its forecast after IPO. And you know, we weren't an investor at that point, um, but we think he's a really high quality, very clear strategy, operationally strong, um, and the business is growing double digit at the top line. It's got potential for operational gearing in terms of its uh, operating margins, and it's a, it's a classic example of what we were just talking about in terms of takeover opportunities. Uh, It's a business that trades on a a valuation multiple, which is at a a really significant, like 40 to 50% discount to the the multiples that similar businesses have traded for when the whole company's been sold to private equity and private markets. So, that that to me gives me real confidence that I'm buying good quality business, but at at a sensible price where there's significant upside. And whilst now, I, I don't want to sell Medica sort of for, for a short-term uplift. You know, it is a business which I believe will be attractive to both private equity and trade buyers in due course. And so if the price remains depressed where, where it is at the moment, then it's clearly an, an obvious place that they'll probably be looking.
4: So in terms of, obviously, we see markets pick up the last, sort say, three or so months. But is, is there anything among the small-cap sector that's kind of been left behind in the rally that's catching your eye at all? I don't know whether you, you've still been making any new positions recently.
5: Um, I think you know, whilst the market has has rallied and whilst you know, there, there, there are certain situations where uh, you know, they've been obviously significantly oversold and, and, and some of those companies have bounced quite materially, there are still you know, areas of, of healthcare services, financials in particular, uh, business services um, and consumer where. You know, then their business is still trading on multiples, which sort of suggests there's very significant challenges for them from a, from a sort of earnings value perspective. But you know, that might be the case for some companies, but it's not universally the case. And I think there's uh, there's just, I mean, I'll give you one example. Um, you know, we're, we're a meaningful shareholder in a company called Angling Direct, um, which is the, the, the market leading um, UK fishing tackle retail business so it's it's basically got physical stores but also um about half its revenues come come from online it's 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 starting to grow internationally in 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 europe um it is it's the leading player it's obviously had some headwinds because of the the consumer confidence crunch and and and, uh, consumer spending but it's in an area which on a relative basis, should be quite protected because it's you know, it, it's passionate hobbyists who love fishing who will continue to do that you know, whilst they've got any money to to spend, and there's also a, a repeat purchase component because they, they you know you need to have the consumables that, that, that go with fishing. So we think it's really well positioned. We think the independent uh, competitors will really struggle through COVID and and will be struggling now, um, but you know, it's being priced currently, in my view, that you know, as if it's Know, not going to be around in the long term because uh, you know, it's trading on sort of two or three times even a dull, um, which I just think is, is, is totally wrong, um, especially given the business has significant net cash on the balance sheet, so it doesn't have a balance sheet problem. It's, it, you know, it's very well capitalised. So you know, it's, it's a really interesting example of a business. It's quite small um, in terms of market cap, so it's, just, it's not getting a lot of attention, but it just, it just feels like it's completely wrong price.
4: Well, Ken Whitten from Strategic Equity Capital, thank you ever so much for talking about small cap space. It's really, really interesting.
5: Great. Thank you very much.
2: Ken Wooten there from Strategic Equity Capital. That is everything for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you get a moment, please do like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment. It does help other people find us. And do email in if you have any ideas of topics or questions you'd like us to answer. The email is podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. See you next week.
0: We'll be